again, everyone. It's Mark Garcia here with another edition of the Colin College Academic Continuity Podcast. I wanted to take some time here to just do a little bit of a pre-show. This is a special episode. On this episode, members of the Department of Strategic Initiatives met with some of our virtual campus faculty fellows. These are the faculty members who assisted us in our pilot program of the virtual campus. We've worked closely with them in strategic initiatives for the last year, and we wanted to get their perspective on some of the challenges and successes that they've had in taking face-to-face classes and converting them to online classes. Our overall goal here is to assist additional faculty members by giving them perspective on common struggles that faculty might face when trying to take classes online, as well as the way that it can finally feel when you do take that content into an online capacity. Additionally, we really wanted to find out if the faculty fellows are having additional struggles or challenges with moving their existing face-to-face classes to an online capacity and what those struggles are so that we can hopefully build a network of support amongst all of our faculty. So I'm going to go ahead and play the transition track here in just a second. You're going to get a bit of a break and then we're going to launch right into a session where the Department of Strategic Initiatives is asking the faculty fellows questions about what has worked for them, what challenges they've faced, and what successes they've had. I really hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, Melissa Johnson. All right, so what is the biggest challenge you are facing right now with moving your face-to-face class to an online modality because i already teach online i felt very confident with most features however in class students are accustomed to my powerpoints my powerpoints are not currently available online so what i've had to work with is deciding how do i adjust these powerpoints now to solely match the textbook and the assignments so that by the time we get to the test that I have kind of built for them a framework to do well on quizzes and exams. So converting my PowerPoints to an online format with you know your size restrictions, that sort of thing, that's been my biggest challenge. Awesome. And I guess you haven't found any workarounds for this yet? Well, I really like to have it be mine. So I'm just rewriting them. It's just an opportunity to update and rewrite PowerPoints. I have a new book this semester that I'm using. It's a free online textbook. So I was already in the process of converting old PowerPoints to match my new online textbook. So this is just a way to keep going in that direction. Plus, now they'll be available to post online for all future classes. So it's just an investment in all of my future classes. Gotcha. Okay, that's definitely something we can look into. I see in the chat box, um, Anne is suggesting some things you can do to assist, but we'll take it offline and we'll get some information to you on the best way to tackle this one. Okay. Um, Next question, what was your biggest challenge in the very beginning when you first came into the CVC, which is the Colin Virtual Campus, 
What was the biggest challenge for you to adjust for face from face to face to online? Feedback to students regarding written work and exams and learning how to create rubrics that were truly helpful to them for improvement purposes. But thankfully, in taking the training that we took last summer, there were so many great ideas and I, I received so much feedback from the online classes that we took from people around the country that I felt you know, more and more confident every time I created a rubric that it was, I was getting better at doing that. And I've you know, asked colleagues to see copies of theirs, that sort of thing. So that to me was the most overwhelming. How do I give feedback to a student when I can't speak to them face to face in person and, and go over line by line their writing with them. So having you know a, a really well worded rubric that the students receive along with the assignment instructions set expectations and also guided them and helped them turn in a better product. And I think that they appreciate what, that with rubrics, not only do they get detailed feedback from their professor, they also get timely feedback from the professor because it does help you turn around that feedback in, in a more um, uh, easy manner for them as well to understand. Awesome. This is great information, Melissa. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Next question is, what is a challenge you overcame when moving a course online that made you love teaching online? I, I think it was learning in one of the workshops on technology and learning how to align your assignments collectively. I think that was a challenge for me that I didn't realize in my in-class that I learned to do it for my on-class. And I really enjoyed the challenge of laying all of that out for a unit. And then I just turned around and did it for my in-class students as well. So it made me kind of love doing it for the online class and, and I think I liked getting the feedback from the student of how those modules came together and the different materials that I tried to implement by using different types of technology. And I got such great feedback from the students that it made me kind of excited to do more of it. And then I thought I ought to be doing this with my in-class students as well. So I did. Okay, final question. Are there any videos you would like to create and share with other faculty? I'd like to make one on announcements because I think in an online format that announcements is a very key tool for keeping students on track, making them feel like they're, you know, that they're front and center. I think that announcements is one of the best tools we have for checking in and engaging with them. Excellent. All right. That's great. We've got some good information to share there. And I'm thinking as we go that we might call upon you guys if you want to have actual live podcasts where we could drill down into some of these items. But for now, as a high level, this is freaking awesome. What is one of the biggest challenges you are facing right now with moving your face-to-face -face class online? Um, go ahead. I have the same challenge as Melissa as far as trying to redo my PowerPoints because they are more um, uh, an overview of things that I need to remind the students about what they're going to do, announcements and things like that. And then I get into a prompt question or a prompt video. Then I stop and ask questions around the room. And I'm trying to 
figure out how to do this since we're going to be asynchronous. You know, um, I know that I can post discussions, but I I like the students feeding back off of each other. You know, with the face-to-face -face class. So I think that's the challenge that I that I have, and as Melissa said, needing to um, reduce some of the content for the time frame. Um, because of some of the webinars that I heard, you need to limit the presentation. So it's not so much the lecture time, but making sure that the whole time that the time that we're in class, we usually are using all that time in class for information and for interaction. So I don't. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to adapt that to my face-to-face -face learners. Yeah, and I, I think this is Kelly Martin that um, what we're talking about, or at, at least um, Amira and Pamela have been talking about, is this idea of how do we have the equivalent level of interactivity in our online courses that we do in our face to face courses? How do we, as Mindy used the word, Mindy Bailey on Tuesday, translate that same level of communication, like I said, and interactivity. And on an, another issue that relates to this first question is, and this may be more of a nuts and bolts issue, but I know one of my biggest challenges so far is working with my, the number of assignments that students have missed that were due this week between all five courses and rearranging my syllabus so that it's fair to students and dates are fair to students and that's a very specific issue and you know individualized to each one of us on our you know teaching style preferences and academic freedom and and our subject matter discipline but um that that's been a significant issue for me so i'll shut up now this is this is Tanya here and i just wanted to say that for me the biggest challenge has been the time crunch in terms of because there are two issues one is setting up an online course which is very very different from converting a face-to-face -to, -face to online and um, because first of all, the students signed up for a face-to-face -face and not an online. So their expectations are different and our expectations are different. And to communicate that and to organize it in such a short time is my challenge. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, so at a point I was completely overwhelmed. I was like, I don't know what to do. And I have all these resources that I know I have, but I don't know what to do. And I think it's just a question of, organizing yourself and trying to see what is the priority and what your what the learning objective is for the students and what is your priority and what you want them to learn from this experience make it as robust as possible so you know as we all say just kind of plan it out see what your learning objectives are make your calendar and then go week by week and signing out the assignments yeah i think that has been uh, my yeah uh, this is Amira. My biggest challenge, uh, I agree with everything Sukanya said, it's the time and, and converting it from face-to-face -to, -face to, to online, but I think that when I've heard about it, that we need to go online, 
the first thing that I thought about was me. How am I going to survive it? And then the biggest switch that I needed to do is to look from the point of view of students. What is it that they are going through when they sign for one type and now they're going to a different type of learning with everything that is going on in their life, which is the same as what's going on with our life. And I think that once I realized that I need to look at things from the point of view of students, it became very, it became much easier for me to address many questions as of um, what do I need to tell them? How detailed do I need to be? Um, what are the resources? Keep it simple, keep it under one roof. So I'm not letting the noise, what Sukhani said, so many resources, we get so many emails. It's noise. Just put the noise aside. I don't open those emails. I don't read them. Once I will get into putting them at ease, I can add layers using those resources. So that was my biggest challenge. How to look at the, at the um, conversion from face-to-face -to, -face to online. So that's some really great points you guys are bringing up. Reducing the noise and blasting through all, all these details and the information overload and just getting the students to focus in what they need to do, the assignments, what they need to turn in and staying engaged. Those are some amazing points. And I love that you brought up stating learning objectives. Hi, this is Carrie, and I just wanted to say if anybody's looking for ways to make it easier to transfer their courses over, the Greater Good Science Center, it's free, it's at Berkeley, they have some fantastic ideas, they have templates, they have a step-by-step -step opportunity to figure out how to do it, they're being really positive about this, and they're looking at it from a student's point of view, and saying, okay, students are used to playing video games. They understand strategies that go this way, this way, this way, this way. So try and keep it in a format that's easier for them. So it's GGSC. Can you repeat it? GGSC, Greater Good Science Center. They have a .edu and they have a .org. The .org, anybody can do, but the .edu, you've got to sign up and you've got to have an .edu email. Okay. But it's, it's all free. And they're really, really helpful because what I've been doing is a lot of their keeping the students engaged, keeping them, you know, making them feel that they've, they've got a team, that we're members of the same team, we're all helping them, and we're here for them. And it's really, I think it's alleviating a lot of stress for them. Thank so they you. They have a lot of really good ideas. And they have little videos, and they have um, all kinds of resources, like zilch that you won't find there. Great. I'm going to check it out today, apparently. And if you have kids at home, they even have a K through 12. I um, do have kids. Both of them are college students, so they're probably going to be asleep. Some people on are having PM. a hard time figuring out how to homeschool. My, my um, <laughs> brother-in-law is about to pull his hair out. He has a nine-year-old and 11-year-old. So that's I found information there for him. Yeah, same here with my 13-year-old. But that's another story. I think the biggest problem for me in transiting to this is that uh, I have assignments that are experience assignments where they go out into the world and experience the humanities that way. And so it's, uh, you know, then the papers are like, what's the, you know, compare and contrast a live performance to a recorded performance. So 
Um, that's been a real challenge. So I have come up with some resources uh, that I've kind of handed off to the humanities people because I know I'm not the only one who does this. So, um, and I also put together a, since I have a text list, um, I put together all my embedded videos. I went and got the links and uh, turned it into a, a Word document with all the hyperlinks to all the different lectures because I know that there are a lot of people who uh, are not going to have. Um, so that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff online that can get used, already used instead of a book. Um, That's awesome. Then, hey, Mindy, can you put some of those resources or websites in the text box so we can gather that information? And same with the UCARI on that greater good science, if you could put that in the text box, so we can share that. Well, I'll, I'll email it to you because it's a Word document that's five pages long, 10 points. Oh, that's long, perfect then. Uh, single space. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it Have also you shared has, that with your department yet, Mindy? Yeah, I shared it with all the associate teams. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. But Mindy, you can upload it to the teams on their files. Well, I'll just email it. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the other thing is, uh, I think a real challenge is uh, what we've already talked about, you know, the fact that online students are different from face-to-face -face students. And online, as you know, takes a lot of self-discipline. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm kind of focusing on uh, getting away from all the whistles and bells and, you know, I'm not gonna bore them to death with me staring at a camera talking to them. Uh, so I am kind of working on um, pulling together um, team stuff because I do team-based learning. So I'm trying to figure out how to set up times for them to get in there with their teams where you know it's, it's not the whole class, it's just each team. So um, that's that's a real challenge because I don't. What are you using currently for your team-based learning? Are you using Canvas and groups? Oh well, um, in my online classes, I use groups. Um, but in my face, set them up with the collaboration, um, and then they have a collaborative document that they're using, and they're gonna uh, project that they do on PowerPoint together. It's a photography project, so. Um, that's, uh, but in my face-to-face -face classes, uh, that their project was, uh, supposed to be a team game that they design and create for, uh, review everything we've studied over the semester that they thought was interesting, important, and relevant. And so that's going away because, um, <laughs> there's no way to do that at a distance. So, um, I'm going to have to change that to something else. I'm not sure what yet, but, um, and I also have a resource that uh, is, that uh, a friend just sent me that, that has a lot of links to, you know, live concerts, and um, I know the Metropolitan Opera is streaming their stuff live, so um, just pulling together all the resources that I need to switch everything from, you know, the face-to-face, -face because 
when you do team-based learning, they're really there, you know, so, you know, it's, it's real time and it's set up to, you know, take tests together and all of that. So that's well, been the hardest for me. And, and Mindy, maybe, maybe this is also um, an opportunity, I guess, because one of the things you can kind of keep the students thinking about as they move through the semester on every assignment is, you know, what are some of the challenges you've encountered with this because we're not face-to-face? -face? What do you think is lost from this experience because you're not actually there? Um, so if nothing else, they can put it into perspective and they can be talking about that. And, and it might actually make them realize too that no matter how good virtual reality or augmented reality gets, there may be a certain aspect that they weren't considering of an experience that, that you know, can't be captured in that digital context. Oh, you're right on the same page as I am. I have been also working on uh, rewriting their team evaluation form to be something that, that's uh, going to um, compare and contrast their experience in teams virtually and face-to-face. -face. A lot of them have already gotten a hold of me. And they, I mean, we miss each other really badly right now. <laughs> They miss their team. They're so they're they're they just got really seriously bonded, and then we had spring break, and then this. So a lot of them are just really whining about not being in class. So trying to keep it dynamic and, and uh, they not having to be someplace at, at one specific time. You know, trying to to turn the synchronous into asynchronous to kind of make their lives a little bit easier because I know a lot of them are servers and. Um, you know, pizza deliverers and you know so their their schedules are changing pretty radically right now so um it's this is such a challenging time for all of us but backward design is the other thing what i did is <clears throat> mark if i know you and rebecca uh worked a lot with this in the beginning of the team-based learning stuff so if i think it would be great and I, I can ask Rebecca if she would do it um, to put together a, you know, just basic backward design video that would be helpful because I think, you know, we, we are getting a lot of advice of one foot in front of the other one day, but, you know, day by day, week by week. And that's all well and good. But where is it leading is the question. You know, you have to have your direction mapped out, as you know. So um, that's it. <laughs> Uh, I did notice, uh, Suzanne, I think you had your hand uh, up for a while. Did you want to add something next? Yes, I was just going to add my challenge before I have to leave to get to a department meeting. Uh, so my biggest challenge has been before the semesters with my online classes, I am able to publish a class and then make videos of every module and, and go through assignments and talk about directions and things that I expect. And the students can't see it because it's not available to them until the first day of class. However, I was finding when I, to put it in student mode, I have to publish everything now and make it available to them. So I haven't even made the videos yet. And so I was publishing things yesterday, putting it in student view, doing the videos. And as I'm doing that, students are emailing me, freaking out about things that they're seeing pop up on their canvas. and. Uh, new assignments that they have and they don't understand <laughs> like, oh my gosh I'm making the video as we speak and so I just I was trying to figure out could I but I can't unpublish the course and and make them in student view so I don't 
I don't know what the workaround there is, but I really wish there was a way for us to video in student view before having to publish it for the students. Does that make sense? It does. And I know that that the student view for a lot of instructors has been a pain point because on the one hand, you want to you want to be able to see what the student is going to see, but you want to do it before the students are going to see it. Like now right. that we're live and we're knee deep in um, the semester, any changes you make, if they've got those notifications set up, they're going to go ahead and get those notifications. So it, it definitely makes it a huge challenge. Um, I think that the, the best advice I could potentially give on that would just be either a, a course announcement um, to your students or a message from the inbox that says, hey, this is just your morning reminder. I'm going to be going in and doing things. I'm going to be building things out. I promise you all that you know, once they're done, I will send a follow-up message that lets you know, you know that what everything is, we'll, we'll debrief and all of that, but just understand it. And maybe if you can get them into a habit of understanding, okay, I should be expecting an email or an announcement at these times. So if I see things changing, I, I can just know that it's going to be coming. But that would probably be the best advice I could offer right now. Uh, I don't know if anybody else has any takes on this because I know that I'm sure that for them, it is just anytime their phone vibrates, they're probably freaking out just having many heart attacks. Right. And I was feeling so rushed to get all my videos made as I was getting these published really fast yesterday. And so then I messed up a couple and I put the wrong video in the wrong class. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But that's my biggest, my only challenge, really. There is a blog on the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. I just um, posted the link. And there's a blog that I often go to. It's for online learning strategies. And it's really fantastic. The University of Toronto and then other ones from internationally and around the world, different places. And you guys might want to use that. That's it's really, they're really good resources. Kelly Ellison noticed you had your hand up for a while. Uh, did you want to add something? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, um, I'm just, and I know I'm going out of order in terms of the question numbers, but jumping to number four, and this is rel relates to what we've been discussing as well regarding number one, is that I plan on one of my little micro learning videos for faculty um, to discuss or record or talk about the differences between presenting information versus sort sort of meaningful learning and meaningful instruction and i know and that's what i'm putting my video several times over i'll repeat myself like a broken record spinning around and around but um that time as everyone's talked about is obviously a significant issue and as we discussed last week and also this week you know going to staying a week ahead but just simple ways to use some canvas tools and features and like mindy was discussing you know how to get these videos embedded and these live streams and so forth in the app section of canvas under settings has a lot of great resources films on demand so forth that are already there for us and so does i guess it's the WYSIWYG, uh, I don't know what you call it toolbar like when you're 
typing text or whatever, you know, the little toolbar that appears, it has like bold, italicized, change color, etc. You know, links to VMO, YouTube, and all of these great resources, Khan Academy and so forth. And I just think that's important, and that's why I was going to do a small video about it. Just to remind our faculty that even though it seems like it, we really are not alone. And I don't mean just with all the support that we're getting, but in terms of the resources and technology that, and as Carrie has shared and so forth, or set, you know, other people have, there's a lot of great ways to, to implement the KISS principle, which is going to be another one of my videos. I love that you said KISS. Yay. Keep it simple. Scholar. <laughs> I don't mind saying stupid, but <laughs> yeah. Silly's also works, but that then that you lose sort of the professional, not that stupid is very professional, but you lose sort of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Makes it sound like a game or something. I have to find it later. I've got a great meme somewhere. Okay, let's see. Moving on. We are at 45 minutes, so that's not bad. Let's see. Here's our four questions. I think we've had some pretty good discussions so far on biggest challenge. So let's shift. Um, let's skip to three, actually, because that's all challenge related. Yeah, let's talk about something you love. I mean, what's something that actually fueled your energy to keep on teaching an online environment? So the actual question is, what is the challenge you overcame when moving a course online that made you love teaching online? Anyone have feedback there? I just love teaching online, period. I think it's a really nice way to meet the students where they are and lessen their stress. They don't have to commute. They don't have to worry about, you know, when their children are up yelling. They can actually do their work when, when it's convenient for them. And I think that that's sort of the microwave society we live in. So I like it. Um, I, I just want to say that uh, in terms of a challenge, I think my main challenge was initially is um, the communication between students as to what my expectations were. So I used to get emails at the time, you know, what is this for and uh, how do you grade this? And so I think making things very explicit and making sure that everything is written down so that they know exactly how the courses run is very, very important. So now my emails have become much less. And um, I think it's really a question of putting everything down in a very organized manner so that they can understand it very clearly. I had issues with, I still have issues with having them um, participating, not just complete assignments, but participating in discussions and so on. And um, I was really excited uh, starting to work with uh, ELC on changing, because I taught online before, obviously. But I think that uh, it pushed me into trying to find new solutions or new approaches. And almost every semester, I change the way that I, I try to engage them and work in groups. Um, what was also exciting for me was the ability to have the course streamlined so much better than it was before. I thought that I had quite an organized course before, but making, um, or I'm going to use it, uh, KISS, 
keep it simple, make it streamlining that the students will not have any problems going from one module to the other, from one week to the other. And to be honest, I almost don't get any emails about those issues, where to find it, what do I need to do? So it's, it's very exciting for me to improve all the time. I love it. So it's actually making you evolve and learn yourself. Yes. Oh, yeah. I learn a lot every semester. Yeah, that's what I was going to echo is that I really enjoyed the challenges that taking my courses to the next level has given me as a teacher, a accidental instructional designer, you know, an accidental educational technologist. Uh, that creating more meaningful and advanced, not complicated, but more advanced levels of interaction. Uh, really, as we talked about earlier, tweaking our assignments, our PowerPoints, adding voice over narration to my PowerPoints and et cetera, um, was very challenging in, in the sense of time commitment and in the sense of the learning curve. But it is so rewarding that now I know to do what is all mainly simple things to other people, um, you know, within the actual professions and industries. It's still somewhat complex. Um, I can use those for my future courses and in all of my courses. Yeah, I learned from my students. Um, my first or my second discussion board is why do we need discussion board and I asked them some questions and I asked them what did they like what did they not like in previous discussion board and how can we make it more um, engaging um, how how do they learn from that do they use it and I, I collect those and I implement from semester to semester which is pretty fun to to learn from their point of view uh, since there's a little real quick, Betsy, uh, you had your hand up for a little while. We'll make sure you get a chance to, to speak. Yeah. Um, hi, everybody. I hope you're all doing well and feeling healthy. Um, I um, just in answer to that question, I, you know, like Carrie, I really have always really enjoyed my online classes. Um, and I don't know if others of you have experienced this, but um, since I teach government, you know, a lot of times some of the things that we're talking about in the face-to-face -face classes, people are wary to put their opinions out there and to kind of dig deep and challenge each other. I think there's a, you know, about some of the topics that we talk about, but when we do it online, um, when I talk about those same topics and have them uh, engage in a discussion forum, which is structured and, you know, of course I always lay the groundwork and say, you know, it's about respect, it's about exchanging ideas and all of that. And they're all, all reading the same readings and that the questions are focused um, around the thing that we read. Um, we get into some much deeper and more meaningful discussions. And I get a lot of good feedback from the students about um, being able to see other people's point of view from, you know, from engaging in the discussion forum and, you know, teaching the same class face-to-face, -face, I rarely get that same level of um, 
the students challenging each other and inter interacting with each other on these particular topics. So, you know, I, um, I think that they're even without making it fancy with, you know, video and um, things like that, which, you know, obviously there's a, a place for that as well, but something so simple as a really focused and well-structured um, asynchronous discussion forum um, offers a lot of opportunities for deep engagement and deep meaningful discussion uh, for the students um, amongst themselves. So you bring up a good point there. It's great discussion, but it's discussions between you, the faculty, and the students, but you also mentioned that the students tend to engage with each other as well, right? Um, they have to. That's part of um, what they're graded on. In, in my discussion forums, they can't see anybody else's response until they post their response to my focused questions about the video or the reading that, you know, that the discussion is built around. And then once they posted, they are required to go back and read at least one other students and meaningfully um, comment on that person's post. So um, it often turns into you know, uh, back and forth over the course of the whole week um, between, you know, people, you know, sharing, well, this has been my experience, or this is kind of what I thought when I read, or um, when I read this, and I never thought about what you said, that really makes me rethink my position on this. Um, so um, I also incentivize them to participate early and throughout the discussion um, through the rubric that's um, kind of built in that you know, it's, it's not a huge deduction if they do everything on the last day, but it's a uh, deduction that, you know, I, I always tell them that's like leaving money on the table, go ahead and, you know, post on the first day and, and collect that money um, and then check back in for your, your later on for your um, reply. So um, after the first few weeks, um, everybody kind of gets on board and it really does turn into, even though it's asynchronous, even though it's just typing, um, it turns into, I think, a lot of engagement between the students over the course of the week that we're talking about that topic. Uh, Kelly Putnam, I believe you had your hand up next. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to kind of echo what has been said about the challenges of converting from face-to-face -to, -face to online, but I think in, in my situation is a, a little bit unique in that I'm able now to have students participate in learning um, about nutrition, about um, kinesiology, um, you guys, I should have said that, but being able to learn about their fitness program, their wellness program, their nutritional program, and being able to reach this unique population because in this particular discipline, I know for a fact that I have a lot of students that would not under any circumstances come to the um, campus to participate in a face-to-face -face class. They just don't feel comfortable with that. So being able to have these students um, develop their fitness and their wellness program has really been fantastic to do it online. And I see that in, you know, the evaluations that they, that they write telling me, you know, think and probably has not as much to do with me as it does just being able to offer them an online class. Thank you for allowing me to participate in this physical activity um, course and not have to be on campus. So I have found that most rewarding. Yeah, and you bring up a great point right now since we're all kind of uh, stuck in our homes. This is a perfect opportunity to help people get 
their exercise in <laughs> through an online format. I was just been thinking about that. Yep, that's a good point. Though, Nick, sharing um, really good health tips uh, with students is going to be essential. Yeah, I'm more like, likely myself to do um, exercise if I'm doing it with a group, if I've got someone on my computer screen doing it with me, just saying. Sorry, Kelly, Thanks. go ahead. Uh, that's okay. I was just going to say the majority of my students are like that, but for this very special, unique population, sometimes it, it would never be an option for them to sign up for a face-to-face -face class. So um, I'm just happy to be able to do that. Mindy, uh, you had your hand up next. Yeah, I was going to uh, kind of bounce off of what Betsy was saying. I've that is my favorite thing about teaching online is the asynchronous discussion board uh, because in class when you have these discussions, people are really hesitant to speak, or there are some who are way too eager to speak, and it's usually you know not really that reflective um and it's just kind of off the top of their heads but when it's asynchronous that way uh and i do the same thing where they can't post they can't read anybody else's until they post um and then they go back in but um we get multiple perspectives in a way that you don't get in face-to-face -face classes so that's part of what um threw me into team-based learning because i find in team-based learning that it really kind of it's much more in depth than it used to be just when it was Socratic open class discussion. Uh, and the other thing that I do, um, but it means a lot of grading. So when I first started teaching online, I they had a discussion. So um, I kind of distilled that um, and uh, changed the way the units were done. And, and now they do about five or six of them. And uh, they're, they're in depth and uh, they cover more territory and so they get uh, there's more to say and uh, that works a lot better and then I have them some I put in teams to do that and some it's just open class but I have them respond to at least five people and um, then have back and forth conversation instead of just one and done and that deepens the conversation a lot. Um, and then uh, I give bonus points for if you respond to more people. So um, I kind of um, punish myself a little bit, but it's also lovely to see what happens. So their first discussion where they were getting to know each other, um, I, in all of my uh, six classes, I counted, I added up the posts, I graded 1,760 posts, um, yes. which was lovely because I really got to know them, but it was also very time consuming. So uh, that's that's one of the things that I've had to learn about teaching online. It, it takes more time and finding that balance between um, having them, you know, uh, discuss and, and take tests and do all that stuff and um, having time to actually digest all of it. So. So you bring up a really great point there. I think <clears throat> something of best practice is to figure out what you're going to be grading and what you're not going to be grading. Like discussions 
I think it's a great way to encourage the engagement. But like you're saying, 700 posts, that's a lot to grade. That's a lot of pressure on you. That was um, 1,700. Oh, 1,700. Goodness gracious. <laughs> but, so you want to encourage that interaction, but. Exactly. But you don't want to burden. You can't down. grade that. <laughs> So you're, yeah, and so some of the discussions, they get a lot of feedback on and some they don't. So, um, but I use rubrics in all of the discussions, which, and speed grading. So uh, it goes pretty fast and I have really, really revised and refined and uh, elaborated on the things that are in the rubrics. And I think that helps really direct them a lot, but also uh, keeps you from having to give um, a whole lot of individual feedback. So I, I do the uh, speed grading with rubrics, but then I also give them comments that specifically target particular things in their posts so that they, um, they get both. I, I have a question here. This is uh, Lydia Danton. Um, is uh, regarding discussions, because we do discussions for, um, for our courses and that's uh whether or not you require um that they use uh sources for your discussions i do not require that um i i give them uh extra points if they use it but i'm not requiring it for discussion okay because because for for my discussions i require that they they use sources and that they that their sources are done in APA for formatting as well. What I give them extra point for, or I take off points, if they post something on the subject that I can find in the textbook, then they get less points for that. I ask them to expand on what's on the textbook. So they have to go and read and then they get extra points if they show me where they read it, but I'm not um, making a big, uh, big thing out of it. Um, I actually have assignments in in which I do ask them to give proper citations and I do grade them on the citations. Um, I think they have to know how to do research and and pull out information from citations and um, be able to um, clearly state them. So yeah, Sukanya, I, I, I do have it as a scientific writing or lab report, but in the discussion board, I don't require them to give me um to give me citations or resources in the lab report they do have to got it got it actually i have a discussion in which they they're discussing a particular point so i want them to give the citations of the source that they got it from so either way we are both grading um citations right one yes. you do it in the lab report yes. but i do it in in my format yes 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 Okay, dokie. Let's see. We've got about 30 minutes left. We've addressed some challenges. Does anyone have anything they want to add about what you love in the online environment? I have a um, PDF I'm going to put on here, and it's about the importance of professional writing in the online environment and why it matters. Here, and I'll put it out here for y'all. It's from the nursing faculty, but it works across the board and it's about APA and the importance of abiding by proper grammar, et cetera, et cetera.
Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Collin College Academic Continuity Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Garcia, and be sure to tune in next time when I'll be joined by my colleague, Nicola Marshman, to discuss best security practices, multi-factor authentication, and more. Take care, and thanks for listening.